You're listening to the Web4 Marketing Podcast, where business owners, digital marketers, and creatives collide. Please join me in welcoming Kevin Gitch. Thanks, Alan. All right, guys, you did choose wisely. Um, I'm. You guys are going to have to be a little ready for today because I'm going to give you guys a lot of energy. You just had lunch. I'm going to keep you awake the whole time. If I start seeing people sleep, I'm going to make you all stand up. We'll do a little Macarena or something, okay? Because I know how uh, crazy it is after lunch. Um, but no, I, I am extremely excited. As you can see here, uh, we have in-house marketers, we have business owners, freelancers, uh, agency folks that own agencies. And I, I did this because it, it really illustrates what I'm going to show you in my presentation, that you have to know your audience. You have to know your audience to be able to deliver value. And so I wanted to know who you guys are so I can really tailor my messaging to fit you. So with that, that's the theme that we will go forward with. All right. I first want to honor you guys. It's, uh, everyone in here is uh, our achievers. Just by being here, it says a lot about you. You're someone who really cares about growing yourself, your knowledge, and really helping others. And so I want to honor you, and I really uh, do that by putting in the work I did to make sure that I give you guys a tremendous amount of value. Um, this handsome guy here, yeah, that's me. I know, he's so cute. It's actually here to remind me to make sure that I give you guys a ton of energy. Um, most people only retain about 10% of information if they're just sitting there being lectured to and that's not what I'm going to do today. Um, so I've actually put a number of things in place to make sure that you guys retain as much information as possible. Because if I give you guys $100,000 in value, and you only retain 10% of it, not good, right? So I put a couple things in place. I actually, this whole slide deck, the, uh, the slides, all the resources in it, the video of it, you're going to get everything afterwards. So we're actually videotaping it. This is my Netflix special. Yeah, yeah, ooh. So uh, we're going to do that. We're also going to sprint through a bunch of information, just a little over an hour probably, and then we're going to take a quick five-minute break. We'll let you guys go potty. That's important, right? In addition, one other thing that makes people uh, pay a little more attention is knowing that they're going to have a test. So we actually have a couple tests throughout here. And just by knowing that fact, you're actually going to pay better uh, attention, and you're actually going to get more value out of my talk. I'm also giving away two of these Google Home Minis, because why not? Right? Um, we're here to really talk about digital strategy. This is some uh, fun, cutting-edge stuff. If you guys don't have them, they're tons of fun. And so um, it's going to be a little stressful for some of you. It's also going to be fun for some of you as well because it, the test is actually like fast-paced and some of the answers are like shorter and all that kind of stuff. It's really interactive. It's going to be tons of fun. Um, there is a leaderboard. And just by knowing that, all the competitive folks in here said, hey, I'm going to be number one. I'm going to win that thing. <laughs> right? All right. See, I... This is why I'm in marketing, not because, uh, you know, I, I heard that showing embarrassing pictures of yourself really connects with the audience. I'm not sure this one is really the best one to do that, though. Yes, I was goth. Anybody else goth? No? Yeah, that says a oh, She kind of barely raised her hand. She said, I was a little, what's a little goth? <laughs> little goth. Yeah, little baby goth. So this is good to just let you know that, like, no matter where you are in life or your business, there's hope. I, I actually... <laughs> I actually got married. I, I had an amazing family and children, and so yes, dreams do come true. So as Alan mentioned, I'm the founder and director of digital strategy at Web4. I, I love what I do. I'll give you a quick, um, just kind of my why, why I started the business. 
I actually, back in 2009, really good time to start a business, worst part of the economy ever. I said, hey, let me leave my six-figure job with benefits to have no salary whatsoever and no benefits, because that sounds like a good idea. It was really because I literally hated, I went to work every day and it just ate away at me inside because I didn't feel like what I was doing was having a positive impact. And I said, if I could do something where I actually felt like what I was doing was having a positive impact and make half as much, I'd be happy. And I, I exceeded that. I actually made less than half as much. <laughs> so my first year, not the best year. Second year, half as much. But now, I mean, we have a team of 14. We've won multiple awards. And as Alan mentioned, we've been published in a lot of amazing places. So for especially some of the business owners in-house or in-house marketers, agencies, no matter where you are in your career, there's definitely you can pretty much do anything you want if you put your mind into it. So uh, Alan also mentioned I'm on the board uh, of SEMPDX, past president. Uh, SEMPDX, if you don't know, is one of the first nonprofits that was set up to support the digital marketing community. Uh, based in Portland, Oregon, we put on a conference every year uh, called Engage. It's coming up in March, so check that out. Make sure you put that on your calendar. Amazing uh, event. I'm a little biased. But I do have some bad news for you, though. 19 out of 20 businesses fail in the first 10 years. It's kind of sobering news. So that means that only 4% of the people in this will be, that same company will still be around. Right? And I'm here to help you be that 4%. Right? I want to make sure you guys are the ones that succeed because um, this article says that cash flow is the number one reason why businesses fail. It's like saying losing blood is the number one reason why people die. Right? Like, yeah, that's good. It's more, it's the, it's the symptom as opposed to what's actually happening. So I want to get some feedback from you guys. Why do you think that many businesses fail in the first 10 years? And you don't need to raise your hand, just, just not managing their money well. Anything else? It's way harder than, that's a common one. They don't know what they're doing. Very true as well. Any others? Things ch not profitable is important and things change. So in my mind, there's two main reasons why businesses fail. The, the leader of the company, whether it's a, the owner or the, the CEO, whoever that may be, fails to adapt and innovate themselves and or the company to be who they need to be to succeed. Right? The second is they fail to understand their customer and know them better than anyone else and adapt to their changing needs and get the right message in front of them at the right time. And while I, today I can't help you with the first one, I am going to help you with the second one. And if you implement what I show you today, I am very confident that you'll be in that 4%. I love this. You'll see a lot of Peter Drucker quotes. Anybody know Peter Drucker? Yes, amazing. Uh, if you don't look up his stuff, he's amazing. Business only has two basic functions, innovation and marketing. Everything else are costs. Marketing is the distinguishing, unique function of the business. So those of you who are in marketing, in-house marketing uh, agencies, you guys are heroes for your bu the businesses that you work with. And you can have a major impact for them. And that's one of the things I love about what we do so much. So today, I'm going to walk you through a few things. I'm going to show you how to develop a digital strategy. And that's packed with a few different things. That's really understanding your customer. It's understanding the path that they take on a consistent basis. And then it's choosing the channels and tactics according to that, as opposed to just jumping in and saying, here, let me do these tactics, because I've heard they work well. 
Then we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to dive into some of those tactics so that you get some actionable information. I don't have, this was originally going to be a three-hour workshop, got squished to two, so I don't have a ton of time uh, to go through all of those. And then uh, we're going to talk about measurement because measurement is critical. The way I look at it is if you have a budget and 30% of that budget isn't performing and you're actually measuring it and you know that, you can reallocate that budget to something that is performing. Simple, right? So you want to start with a strategy. Now, every time a speaker gets up and gives you information, I want you to take it with a grain of salt, including me. Uh, everything, there's a scale to everything. I hate it when people get up and they're like, this is the way it is, you should always do it this way. And it, it varies greatly if you're a small business or a big business or what industry you're in. So you have to take it with a grain of salt. But what I would say is you want to start with a strategy and the, the scale of that strategy should be based on the, the, the breadth or the scale of what you're trying to accomplish. If you're a small business and you're trying to go from, you know, 1 million to, you know, 1.2 million, well, you should definitely have a strategy for that. But if you're a $250 million corporation trying to grow by 30%, you know, or in this case, if you're trying to get a rocket off the ground and go to the moon, the decisions and the planning you make now will make the difference of whether you get off the ground or, you know, end up lost in space. With that said, I want to reassure the entrepreneurs in the room. The, the entrepreneurs are generally very action-oriented. Uh, sometimes they uh, take action despite uh, a lot of other things, including me. I'm that guy who just go, 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 and my team helps corral me. So a good plan violently executed now is better than a perfect plan next week. Do not let perfect get in the way of action, okay? You need to start creating a plan, but you need to pivot as you go. We're in that age where you can't, a five-year plan, it's not a real thing anymore, right? Change happens too fast. So... To define what I mean when I'm talking about uh, customer strategy, you always hear me say the term customer-centric digital strategy. And a customer-centric digital strategy is a strategic plan revolving around your customer designed to achieve a major business objective through marketing and measurement initiatives. What I see often is complexity is the enemy of execution, and too many people think it's, it's so complex. They hear strategy and they're like, oh my God, it's such a big thing. I'm going to simplify it for you today and give you some simple things that you can put in place. I use 5WH because it's very easy to remember. It stands for who, what, when, where, why, and how. Very simple, right? So this graphic shows you that who is at the center of everything. How is later. We start with the who. We start working through some of those things. It's kind of more of an agile process. And we end at how. We don't start with how. Right? You want to know the customer so well that you can get the right message in front of them at the right time. So this is really quick. I'm going to go through some of this. I'm also going to give you resources later to follow up on this. So if I'm going fast, understand that I'm going to follow up and make sure you have the information as well. You'll get these slides as well. So who is my ideal customer? Right? You need to know that. And then who are we as a business? One of the things I found is a lot of the businesses we work with, they, they don't clearly, uh, in a way, communicate the unique value that they provide to their customers and how they differentiate themselves. So we've started to create value for our clients around that, and today I'm going to give you uh, something for that for free to help you better understand who you are because you can't make a love connection if they know who they are, but you don't know who you are. What are our competitors doing? What's the market like? When are we going to start? When do we want to accomplish this by? Excuse me. Where are we now? Starting to do a SWOT analysis, starting to look at your site audit, starting to look at your online presence, your brand recognition, all those things. And then you want to have clear outcomes, objectives that you're trying to target. And I also like, in this part, I also talk about the why, like Simon Sinek talks about. People don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. 
So we get into that and talk about that a lot as well. And then we'll talk about the how. The tactics, the channels. And if you're an agency, what are the deliverables and measurement? Like, what are you doing from that standpoint? Sorry, you were going to take a picture. You'll get the slides as well, so if I go through too fast, then. So we did a study back in 2017. We uh, surveyed tons of businesses, and uh, out of these, what, 60, almost 67% didn't have a documented digital marketing strategy. So if you follow through on this, you're going to be ahead of 67% of the other businesses out there. Okay? We want to get you into that 4% range. This worksheet I'm, I'm finalizing. I wanted to have it ready for today, but there were some things that I wasn't happy with. So uh, the video, once it's done, as well as the worksheet, probably uh, as soon as those two things are done, I'm going to send out to you guys. I'll send it to everybody for free, so you'll have the video to rewatch, and you'll have this uh, worksheet to walk through as well. Peter Drucker. Efficiency is doing things right. Effectiveness is doing the right things. This guy is extremely efficient in his cannonball. However, he is not very effective, is he? I could just play this for a while and you guys would stay here and keep watching it, but I'll give you another analogy. It, it, you could be the best archer in the world, the most efficient person ever, hit a bullseye more often than anyone else in the world, but I put you in a dark field where you can't see the target. What are the chances of you actually hitting that target, right? Like, you, it could be right in front of you and you shot 100,000 arrows and you'd have no idea. So what I'm going to help you do today is shine a light on the target and so you can get right up in front of it and hit it every time. Sound good? All right. So we'll, we'll get into talking about the who, and I think you, to really understand this, and for some of this, this might be a little more mushy for some of you than others, but I think you need to understand basic human psychological needs, and many of you already do, but I'm going to dive into it a little bit deeper. It's one of the things I've always loved. I was actually going to become a psychologist at one point because I, I loved people. I loved why we are the way we are, what makes us make the decisions we make, and all the different things that we've experienced through our life and why we have the beliefs we do and all those things. So I'm going to walk you through what I think are some of the top psychological needs that we as users have so that when you're thinking about creating your messaging, you're thinking about creating everything, you can make sure that it's addressing those specific needs. And so at the bottom, you'll see certainty, and on the left, you see a minus, on the right, you'll plus. If you look at most of the things in life that you actually enjoy doing, that you do all the time, you'll probably score really high. If I said on a scale of 1 to 10, like how would you rate these things? You would probably rate them really high for all these different areas. And if I said all these things are things that you don't like doing, you would rate them really low. I've done this a lot of times, so I haven't seen it not be the case. So, uh, sorry, certainty is, is critical. It's something that, like, we wake up every day, we have expectations about how life is, we drop a rock, it falls, we turn the steering wheel left, it goes right. Like, if we didn't have certainty in our everyday life, we'd go crazy. But also think about the purchase process for a user. If I'm going through checkout and I'm not certain that it's a good experience, if the, the user experience is kind of bad, I'm going to relate that to the customer service experience. I might bounce at that point. You know, there's all different things that you can think about. How can I give more certainty to my customers throughout the process? Then we all want to feel important. We all want to be significant. And that's a deep down psychological need for all of us. And a big fear of all of us is that we're not enough. So how can you make someone feel special? How can you make them feel important in what you're doing? Now, this is where it gets a little mushy. Everyone wants love and connection to some extent. Now, a lot of us are too scared of love, so we'll settle for connection. But in everyday life, when we're thinking about how we're connecting with our customers, how are you using this to help communicate your message more effectively and make sure that you're connecting with them on a deeper level? 
or that you're communicating to them how this is going to give them more love and connection in their life, depending on your type of business. Now, variety is one of my top areas. I, if I sit around too long, like, I need to get up and go out and do something. My wife's always been like, what's your, like, all of a sudden, you're like, you need to go do something. I'm like, yes. I, I'm like, I'm driven. I got to go do something else. Like, right now, I need some variety. Uh, people who travel a lot, is, variety is a big factor for them. So everyone weighs these and meets these in different ways. And then we all want progress. We all want to grow in our lives and become better and move forward. If we're not moving forward, we're moving backwards, right? So we all want to make progress, and then we all want to have a positive impact. And for me, this is the ultimate thing for me, is I want to have a positive impact. I want to make sure that, for a lot of us, it's our legacy, right? We want to leave a positive impact. We want to, have, we want to help people. But the number one thing over everything else that will drive you crazy if you don't have it, Wi-Fi. <laughs> we saw some of this yesterday. People going crazy in the streets, right? Now they're like... I don't have Wi-Fi, what's going on? So now that you kind of have a base understanding, when you start thinking about your messaging, you start thinking about your customer, you'll be able to better understand them from this framework. So let's talk about understanding your customer. I, first, when I'm working with a client, the first thing I always ask me is, okay, like, how do we do this? What kind of tools and things do we use? And I'm like, oh, this really new technique that people, you know, just cutting edge is you just talk to them. It's crazy, but it works. It's one of the best things you can do when you have customers, and especially you're a small business, that advantage you have is your proximity to your customer. Take three of your best customers and sit down with them and make them feel special. Say, you know what, I want to take you out to lunch. You're one of my best customers, and I want to be able to better serve you, right? And then take them out to lunch, buy them lunch, and ask them some questions and get this information. And if they do give you constructive criticism, make sure you follow up with them and let, you know what, let them know what action you took. But that's one of the most valuable things you can do. I love this quote uh, by Orson Scott Card. He says, I think it's impossible to really understand someone, what they want, what they believe, and not love them the way they love themselves. When you start to really understand somebody, you have a deeper connection with them. So can you guys see Elmer Fudd? It's a little dark up there. So all right, Fudd, Elmer Fudd, now you remember. You'll remember this forever. Uh, when you're talking with your customer, when I'm about to walk you through some of these next kind of exercises or tactics, you want to always remember FUD right here in Elmer. So you want to understand what are their fears, what are their uncertainties, what are their desires, and how do they make decisions. And what will happen later is you'll start to connect all of this to our tactics at some point. You'll start to understand is these are content ideas, these are keywords that people are searching for. As you start to really understand this, it allows you to better meet your customer's needs throughout the journey. And your fears are going to be very different depending on what type of business you're in. If you have a local coffee shop, you know, I might have anxiety around trying a new coffee for the first time, right? And how can you provide certainty so that they are, feel free to make that decision? Right? You could put up a guarantee saying, if for any reason you uh, have a coffee and you don't like it for any reason, we'll remake it or refund you your money. There you go. You just overcome that anxiety that they might have. Right? Now, on the other side, you might have a business who has like hospice services. The fears, the uncertainties are very different in that case. So as you start thinking through this, you really want to understand these things. And so we'll talk about two things that we want to really go through to develop, to help you better market, to better connect with your customers, developing a persona and building out the customer journey. Who currently has a documented digital marketing strategy? Wow. Okay. A couple of hands go up. Uh, who has personas developed? A few. Okay. All right. So we'll go through some of this.
in this uh, study we did, only about 64% did. So again, you want to make sure you're doing that. Now, a really cool tool, if you don't already have customers uh, or you're, like you're starting a brand new business. I know some of the people are starting a newer business, maybe not have as many customers. How do you kind of get some of this information to layer into your personas? You can use a tool like Claritas. Uh, they originally bought Nielsen Prism, and Nielsen took uh, the whole entire U.S. and broke us up into 68 different segments, basically personas. And you can go in here, put in your zip code, and you can see all the different personas that are around your area, what the average income is, demographic, all that information, and it gives you something like this. So you can say, oh, for this specific area, it's wealthy, older, mostly with kids. And it'll talk about what type of lifestyle traits they have, what kind of cars they drive, where they go to eat, uh, who, who, what the, like, airline they fly, so many different things that you have this great information that you can actually put into your persona. One of the areas, though, that is really cool, I won't go down this too far, but think about if you have a very niche audience, if you have a really defined persona and you're building out like a nationwide campaign, why wouldn't you take demand volume and layer that over persona and understand where that persona is and understand where the demand volume is and be able to target those areas as opposed to wasting budget on the whole entire area. So that's the URL. Um, half a second, sorry. There's a lot to go through today. I don't know if, if you guys don't have, if, especially in the agency world, like you might not have access to the customer all the time. One of the best things you can do is talk to the sales and customer service folks. Go through some of those same questions, asking them, you know, when you're working with a customer, what are some of the fears that they have? One of the certain ease. One of the best, most analog hacks we've ever done is we give a spreadsheet to our clients and as they um, go through and they get questions asked to them, they start putting them in there and they check next to it every time they get questions asked. And over time what we do is we look at that and go, are you currently addressing this question, this need of your customers, are you currently addressing it in a meaningful way on your website? We've had some amazing content developed from this really analog way of doing things. So we actually have one client that gets like 2,000 visits a month just from one blog we wrote around a topic from this. So there's, there's so many things you can do. Jazzy yesterday mentioned SurveyMonkey. It's a great way to reach out and send surveys. Uh, what a lot of people don't know is that if you don't have any customers yet, you have no email list built, there's millions of people ready to take surveys so you can actually pay to reach out to a specific target audience. Age, demographic, by state, all these areas. And then you also have another tool called Pollfish, which is a little cheaper but doesn't allow you to target geographically. So you can get that information. This is the one we were talking about at lunch, Mark. So Crystal knows. Understand anyone's personality. Great in the B2B space, but really with anyone, every time I have a meeting, it pops up and tells me uh, who I'm meeting with and what their disc personality uh, profile is like. So it says, if you're working with Cheryl, affirm good ideas, and don't rush meetings, leave time for analysis, things like that. What this allows me to do is I have a high D, high I personality. And in this case, she's probably have a high C Personality, who knows about disc profiles? I'm assuming a lot. Yeah, so cool. One of the best personality profile tests out there. So it allows me to better communicate effectively with Cheryl. It even has uh, personas for like Elon Musk in here. It's verified, that's what the little blue icon is. So it says what comes naturally to Elon. Efficiency, discipline, leadership. It even says when talking with them, be blunt and logical. So I actually reached out to him and asked him and he said, yeah, blunt's good. <laughs> so the aim of marketing is to know and understand your customer better than anyone else. So the product or service just fits them and sells itself, right? So now you take all this information that you have about your customer and you start building out a persona. If you're a small business, you don't need some fancy persona like this. This is something we did for a larger medical 
facility. It's going to be in front of a bunch of physicians and things like that. Um, you can use our uh, ideal customer profile worksheet. So you'll get this resource emailed to you, um, and you can just put in the information about your customer then. But as long as you have something so that your writers or when you're creating content or if you have an agency working for you, they actually understand your customer, it will be very helpful for you to be more successful in that process. I also mentioned the unique value proposition. So I created this worksheet, and you guys can go to this. Really quickly, I want to explain what this is. It'll send you to like a MailChimp thing, put in your email. You'll immediately get all the resources in this, the slide deck, uh, everything that's all the resources in here. And then when the video's done, the worksheet's done, I'll send that out to you. You are subscribing to an email, so if you want to unsubscribe after I send you the video, feel free to, but just so you know. Um, the unique value proposition is something that I developed because I realized so many of our customers, when we asked them what their unique value proposition was, they either gave us uh, nothing, they kind of said, oh, this is what we do, and customer service is our differentiating factor. Everyone's differentiating factor is customer service, by the way. So don't use that as your unique value proposition. Everyone says that. You really want to think about the customer's needs, what's important to them, and then make sure that your message is not just aimed at their head. As far as what you do, you want to aim it at the heart so that they understand how it actually impacts them. When I was going through this exercise myself, I thought, you know, what have we done for some of the clients that we've done? We've helped clients achieve their dreams. We've helped them build, like, buy their dream house. And we've helped, I mean, that's what really moves people, right? Is think about that, like how you actually impact people over time. Any questions? I'll take one or two. Breaking it up, I know I surprised you guys. Keep, anybody else? <laughs> it's a crystal nose, so it's C R Y S T A L nose. No, K N O W S. I know it's a weird name. K N O W S. Really cool tool. Integrates with like Google Calendar. I'll take one more question if you guys have one, and then go on. I just like to break things up because uh, me talking up here the whole time can get boring. No, three, two, one. All right, cool. So now we're gonna, we, now we understand the customer, we're in their mind, right? So you've really gotten to understand this person, and now you want to understand what is the path that they take each day. Because if you know that path that they take each day, how hard it is, is it to get the right message, because you know them, you know how to make that message in front of them at the right time, because you know every time they go down the street, they turn left here. So this is how a strategy should be created, because you know the person, you know the path that they take. Now we're in a very fragmented market, so you might have multiple paths, but you want to know consistently how often they're taking these different paths. So this is fun. I, I love the customer journey side of things, and um, you'll hear, hear me refer to it more as customer experience a lot, because uh, in the future, customer experience, it should be everything right now, but in the future it will be everything when uh, a lot of these different platforms can really better understand customer experience. That's going to be the ultimate ranking factor. So a visual representation of what a person is feeling, thinking, and doing as they interact across multiple stages and move through different, uh, multiple channels and move through different stages of the journey, right, of the buying process. So what are they, I'll give you a thing. Right. What are they feeling, thinking, and doing? For one business, at the beginning of the stage, I might be feeling anxiety, right? In that example, I might be feeling fear, I might be feeling sorrow. If I'm in that example where I'm looking for um, a, I forgot what the thing I used before. Anyways, yeah, I won't go down that. But so it's basically, for each business, this is going to be a little bit different, right? Like if you're in the coffee shop or if you're in a hospice service, it's going to be very different what I'm feeling at that initial stage, right? 
So if you understand that, you understand what are their expectations. If you don't understand their expectations, you're probably not meeting them. Right? So as you go through this and start understanding, what are they thinking? What questions do they have? What expectations do they have? And then what are they doing? What specific platforms are they on? What actions are they taking? Right? What channels are they going through? So this, this is your traditional kind of funnel that I really don't like at all, especially because it stops at purchase. No customer journey should ever stop at purchase. If you're doing a customer journey right, you should be thinking about once they become a customer, that's one of your best opportunities to make sure that that customer is now ultimately becoming an advocate or a brand champion or whatever you want to call it, right? So it might be more like this. The stage is up to you. You don't need to like, follow a specific set parameters. You can create your own stages, but it might be awareness, evaluation, purchase, retention, and the advocacy. And here's another example where it's very different, right? So you have discover, investigate, join, contribute, receive, and use. And you're, what are they doing, thinking, and feeling throughout that process? And as you start to understand that, you go, hey, this seems like just extra process. Why am I doing this? Can you cut that process out? Does this match up with the experience you want to create for your customer? So that's where you really start kind of getting an idea and making sure that you're focusing on customer experience and creating a great journey for the customer. Now this tool, you can create a free customer journey map just like that on UX. It's U-X-P-R-E-S-S-I-A. Uh, and it allows you to create this great U-X-P-R-E-S-S-I-A. Uh, this great customer journey map. Set up your own stages, put in what the customer's feeling, thinking, and doing, and you even have kind of the experience across the way so you can put smiley faces or sad faces. Because that's important. So now we know the customer, we know part of their journey, now we want to map the channels, the devices, and keywords to their journey so we know where they're at in those different stages. What I like to do when I'm working with a client is first understand what devices everyone in this industry, like when people are searching for this, what are they using? And you can use something like if they have an existing site and you have Google Search Console set up, you can go right into Google Search Console. And whereas in analytics, I can see how much of my current traffic is from mobile, right? Like I can see that. In Google Search Console, I can see how many of my impressions overall are mobile. So I can start to see, is there a gap between my impressions and my actual traffic? Now in this case, this is kind of a cool Cool story, this is actually a client we went through this process with and we started back in like 2013 with like 300, 400 visits a month. And for the last probably six, seven, eight months, they've been over 8,000 visits a month because they're constantly have this feedback loop with their customers and they're constantly getting fed and they're constantly providing more value to the customer throughout the process. You'll hear, hear me replace content with value a lot because it gets the customer thinking in the right mindset. So if you have no existing website yet, or if you uh, just want to understand what the marketplace is like, you can actually go into Google Keyword Planner and switch it to breakdown by platform, and it'll tell you of the whole entire search volume, this is how much is done on mobile. This is how much is done on desktop. So you can see this is what the market looks like. How do we match up with that? Right? So you're starting to see where the gaps are and the opportunities are. You also get start getting into keyword research. I'm not going to drive down this too far because we could spend two hours just on keyword research. But you might use a tool like Moz Keyword Explorer as you get into your keyword research. And if you click see all suggestions and then switch to our questions, it will tell you what are the questions that people are asking. This is really valuable to understand in that journey what are the questions that people are asking throughout the process. You know, can you run it safe? I don't know what that means. But how to run properly is running a sport is running healthy. And uh, Christy mentioned this yesterday. It's one of my favorite tools um, 
I always forget the name, so I search for old guy keyword tool, and it comes up. So answer the public. It's a great tool, and you get all these great keywords. And I would have never thought, can running cause weight gain? Can running make you fat? This is a fear somebody has. That's wor I know, and most of us don't think about this. We get brand blindness because we're in the industry, and we're like, you're, you're like, of course that, but you don't know that. Like, people still ask me, what does SEO mean? Like, you can't have brand blindness. You have to get out of your own head. And then which running shoes are vegan? That's another one I probably wouldn't have thought of, but for any vegans in here, you can search that. Uh, answer the public. Yeah. Great tool. You can export all the keywords and then throw it over, get keyword volume. Uh, really great tool. And not just for SEO. That's the thing is when you start thinking about it, there's so many applications to this tool to really understand uh, the customer and kind of brainstorm. And then you want to think about channels. So which channels, right, which channels are actually driving traffic? Which channels are driving conversions? If you have an existing site and you have conversions set up, please, um, then you can start to look at that. You can look at the top conversion paths and see organic search to direct is our top conversion path, organic search to referral. Is this making sense to everybody, by the way? I think for most people, you're, yep, yeah, okay, good. Some of it's basic for some people. Some of it's, it's newer for others. So what I like to do is go to the, the visualizer so you can actually see from a visual perspective how much of your conversions come from each channel. So you can see organic search represents 65% of the conversions for this specific business, and 30% come from referral. You can also see the overlap of how they work together. Now, say you don't have any existing customers or you just want to do some competitive analysis to see if there's a gap between what you're getting and what the competitors are getting. You can use a tool like SEMrush. SEMrush will actually estimate the traffic for you, and those numbers are horrible, so don't pay attention to that. Look at the actual channels. So you can see right here, and you can see how much traffic they're getting from each channel. So I see some people not necessarily understanding why this might be important. This is important because if you're getting 30% of your traffic from search, and your competitors are getting 60% of their traffic from search, you have a huge opportunity. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, you can compare this with something like SimilarWeb, and what's interesting is traffic numbers will be all over the place, but the actual sources of those traffic will be fairly consistent throughout. So you'll see 60% search. Um, Social's about 11, which was similar on the other one. I think it was 10 point something. As you drive down, you can see how much of their traffic comes from paid and organic. So you know, like, hey, in my competitors, they're spending X amount on paid. They're spending most of their time on organic in this case. I can also see what keywords they're targeting. What are their top keywords in this? Make sense? And then you have social. So uh, how valuable is this? If your top competitor, you're looking at it and you're going, hey, I'm starting a brand new business and this is one of the top competitors in the space. Not only do I know they're getting a bunch of traffic from social, but I know which channels they're getting it from. So I know where I should put my focus as opposed to, oh, somebody said I should do Snapchat. And in our business, we're, you'll hear me talk about endorsers a lot. And so we'll look at who's endorsing you. What are these top sites that are actually referring traffic to you, that are linking to you, that are publishing information about you? All right. This is one of my favorite parts. You guys ready? You got to actually answer back. You ready? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. See, just making sure you guys are alive. So most people don't get this, but when you have a comprehensive strategy that's integrated across channels, tactics, and teams, it can be 10 times more effective. So we're going to take all the information we had just now, and then we're going to make decisions on how we actually create our strategy, the channel allocation that we're actually going to do. So when I explain this to you, pardon me that I'm going to explain it like I would explain it to a business owner, like an executive, right? Because you want to, I mentioned before that complexity is the enemy of execution. 
So you want to make sure that this is as simple as possible. And when I used to explain this to people, their eyes used to roll back in their head. It's like, this is the way I think about strategy. But when you visualize it in a simple way, they start to understand it. When they understand it, you can actually get things done. For those people that are in-house, that are looking to actually get things moving forward, you want to make sure you're communicating it in a simple, effective way. Because a lot of these people don't necessarily understand the specific details. So this is really simple. I think anyone can understand it. Your customers at the center of your strategy. Then you have another layer. It's endorsers. Endorsers are people who are going to mention you, who are going to link to you. They might be thought leaders in the industry. They might be your customers. They might even be your competitors, depending on your strategy. In our industry, we get a lot of that just because we're peers in the industry. For those that are professionals in the industry, they'll share each other's content linked to it. And then you have community. And you want to think about how, what's your community going to be like and how do you want to reflect on that? Because those are different than the people who might endorse you and different than your customers in some cases as well. Now, as I talk about this with uh, businesses and with executives, what I look at is understanding that this is a user behavior and it overlays really well with the channel. So, when a user is actually searching, they're on their phone, they're looking for restaurants nearby, they're answering questions, they're browsing the web, they're searching, right? Overlays very well with the search channel. So you have a user behavior that overlays well with the search channel. And then the other user behavior, well, real quick, so search is good when there's actually a demand, right? The rule of thumb is search is good when there's actually a demand. People are actually searching for what you offer. If they're not necessarily searching for it, maybe you created a brand new product or whatever it may be, search may not be the highest channel that you focus on. It should still be part of the equation, but maybe not the main priority. Then you have social. This is where people are interacting socially online. Could be Facebook, all these different areas. But the rule of thumb there is the more social your business is, the better social media is going to be for you. It's a simple rule of thumb, but on one side you have like entertainment and events and day spa and restaurants, and on the other side you have preparation age and adult diapers. These are things that we're probably not going to be like, oh yeah, I like that. Tell all my friends, like, hey, check out this page. <laughs> Another rule of thumb with social is the more refined, the more targeted your audience is, often the better social media will be for you because of the targeting options within social. Social, you can actually get really targeted depending on the persona you have developed. And then you have direct. So direct is where you're reaching out directly to someone or they're reaching back out to you. And this overlays really well with like email, text, push, chatbots, things like that. Now these all interact and play well together and that, we'll see that as I go through these next couple slides. But I'm a rule breaker and someone told me once, I was like, yeah, you can't do an ad for like depends. You can never do something like that. So I'm going to show you the ad I created. You guys okay with that? Mark's not sure. He's like, uh, is this okay? So. Yeah, I said there's rule of thumb and thumbs are meant to be broken. So, um, so we're at the Super Bowl. You've been drinking a lot, right? They have this ad on the Super Bowl. You've been drinking a lot. You have to go to the bathroom, but there's a minute left in the game and your team's about to score. What do you do? Depends. <laughs> so there's always something you can do to get creative, right? There's always ways that you can come about it depending on your brand voice and all those kind of things. So think creatively. So now we have this kind of channel visualization that I like to do, this channel visualization. Uh, and we have some of these basic tactics and tools that we're going to utilize throughout all these different channels. This is where they start to get it. Is your website or app, your content, you'll see slash value because I'm trying to get them to focus on, we're not just creating content. We're not creating crap and throwing it out there. We're actually focusing on creating value. So how do we deliver value throughout all these different channels? User experience, UX user experience, CRO, conversion rate optimization. Your brand needs to be consistent through all these channels. Your PR and reputation management, and then of course measurement. You need to measure all the things. Is that making sense? Cool. 
So, and I'm simplifying this, right? I'm keeping it as simple as possible. In search, you have organic SEO and paid ads. We could dive down a lot deeper, but in social, you have organic social and paid ads, and in direct, you have email, text, chatbots, and push notifications. Make sense? So we start to see how these all work together to create a good customer journey. When I sit down with most businesses, and this is where I'll show you the 10 times return. I sit down with most businesses, I visualize it, I actually write it out for them, and I'm saying, this is what your strategy looks like right now. You have a little bit of focus on search, you've been around a long time, but you have really no strategy around search currently. You uh, are focusing on social, you're not really sure, you, you've communicated that you're not sure how you're measuring it, you're not sure if it's driving conversions, um, but you're, you're actively kind of pursuing it, you're putting a lot of focus on social, and you occasionally send out an email campaign, and your CEO who's creating this, you know, speaking at these events and creating this great content, you're not really doing anything with that, you're just creating those presentations and then it dies. You're not actually using that content, repurposing it, and breaking it up, right? So there's no actual, these people are in silos, right? They're not actually communicating and working together. So when your strategy should look like this, search should be your largest channel, right? Should be actually driving the most conversions based on our research. Social should also be in there, helping you build community, helping you amplify the voice of your content, and helping people down the funnel but might not be the number one driver of conversions, might even be only a few percentage, but is an important part of your strategy. And then direct, also, we need to use automation as people get into the funnel to help them along. Is that making sense? And so now you have a journey where you actually see people go through this channel, so they might find you in search. Then they, because they came to your site, and you've cookied them, of course, because you have a remarketing pixel installed, yes, everybody's shaking their head, you have that. And now they see one of your ads in search, and now they come back to you through direct because they've signed up for, to download a resource that you sent. And then you send them out an email and they get value out of that. So they follow you on social media. And then they go back and they start searching more and they find you again. The more people interact with you in these different channels, it's like gravity pulling them closer to the center of the circle. Ultimately becoming part of your community, becoming an endorser, and then becoming a customer. And if you take care of them after that point, they'll become a brand champion, where they're actually out there marketing for you. Is that making sense? All right. Okay, test time. I love it. And so, as I mentioned before, this is uh, going to be kind of fast-paced for some of you. Go to kahoot.it on your mobile device. Everybody got that? This will be fun. I'm hoping that it actually works. That'd be cool. K-A-H-O-O-T. Dot .it, was that it? Everybody make it there? Unfortunately, based on our time, we're not going to have a lot of time to troubleshoot. But. So you'll want to put in this pin. So go to K-A-H-O-O-T dot I-T, and then put in 306-8331. Ooh, names are popping in. I like it. Boom, 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 boom. This is kind of cool. I like this. Uh, and we're getting there. All right, I'll give it about 10 more seconds, and then we'll get moving. So you're going to answer these questions on your phone. Different questions have different time limits. So some of them will be like 20. I know. Like, eh. Some of them will be like 20 seconds. Some of them will be like 10. Some of them are trick questions as well. So we're going to get going in three Two, one. Whew, are you guys ready? 
Love it. Hopefully it works. Finish this quote by Peter Drucker. Efficiency is doing things right. Oh. What? Only one effect. One person got it? Come on, guys. Some, some of you guys are just looking like, did it not work for some of you? Yeah, okay, you guys got timed out. You were thinking too long. That's, the, that's business. Good job, Jordan. Ashley, Casey, look at that. What does 5WH stand for? This is a little bit of a trick question. Trick, trick answer. Ah, I know, I got you, sorry. I know. Ooh. The first one was who, what, wind, where, why. I know, sorry. I'm an a-hole sometimes. <laughs> Whoa, Jordan and, wow, Jordan and Casey, top uh, overachievers. What does FUD stand for? You guys are actually going to remember this. <laughs> Delicious dingoes. It's not that one. <laughs> All right. Just two more questions, and then we're going to take a break. Uh, oh, Jordan and Ashley, you guys are rocking it. Uh-oh, who's going to come up? Ashley, are you going to pass Jordan? What does UVP stand for? I know this one has less time on it. It's scary. Oh, nice. Most people got that one. And, dude, Jordan and Ashley. Settle down. Is customer-centric digital strategy, what is the most important element to understand? Everybody better get this right. No pressure. Okay. Good job. And the last question. When developing a customer journey, how should one set up the different stages? No, making you think a little bit. <laughs> Mark. All right. Who, so the first Google Home Mini goes to Jordan. So the next section I'm going to go through, unfortunately, there's, uh, you guys saw that list of tactics that we had in there. We don't have time to, to really do a deep dive in all those. So I've kind of strategically chosen a few tactics that I feel are often the more complex, the more uh, people have questions about. So I'm going to really focus on those and really dive in. In that study that we did back in 2017, we also asked, how would you rate the effectiveness of the different tactics that you've utilized over the years? Now, I'll give the caveat, and you should always uh, take a caveat with everything, is uh, we did ask what focus on creating new customers, not just you know, existing customers like repeat purchases and things like that. So it was what are the uh, effectiveness of the different tactics you've utilized? And this was the answers, which wasn't really a big surprise to us, was organic SEO, paid search, content marketing, paid social, email marketing, and social organic. Now, we also asked around traditional media and looked at traditional media and was asking what are the effectiveness of that and 
again, no surprise that traditional media, most the digital media was rating above it as far as driving new customers. Okay, so always take everything with a grain of salt. Your business will vary greatly. This doesn't mean that this is exactly what you should do. Um, every single business is a little bit different. Some businesses, social, organic might be their number one thing, or some people, newspaper, sounds weird, I know, and maybe I'm stepping bounds, but there's always those crazy situations. So really, if you measure everything, which we'll talk about in a second, you'll know what's working and you'll know how to funnel your budget and time where it needs to go. So your website should really be at the center of your strategy overall. It's really one of the things that you should own, or at least hopefully as you mature, if you're a smaller business and as you grow, you really need to think about owning your website. It's one of the few things in your kind of marketing tool belt that you can actually own. Everything else is often rented, right? Or leased or earned. So you wanna make sure you own it. So I'm gonna go through a couple best practices real quick. Goes without saying, I think you guys have heard this over and over, your website should load quickly. But just how much money it's costing you is going to surprise the heck out of you. It should be visually appealing. This, again, goes without saying, but if, uh, when you walk up to somebody and you meet them for the first time, it's not because you're a bad person, but subconsciously we automatically categorize everyone in seconds. You do the same thing when you go to a website. You're gonna categorize, is this site kind of meet my needs? Is, are the colors or the logo or the fonts everything repre representative of the experience I wanna have? You wanna make sure the messaging is clear and that it resonates with your customer and communicates your value proposition clearly. And that it's mobile friendly, of course, like a responsive design. And you wanna make sure your call to action is placed appropriately. Now I could go on and on with more things, but we don't have time to do that today. So I'm gonna walk you through a couple sobering facts. 53% uh, of people will leave your site. They will bounce before it even loads if it takes more than three seconds. My guess is there's probably half the people in the audience that their site takes more than three seconds. How much does that mean to you in revenue? Right? This is one of the first things I look at when I'm sitting down with a business because I know it's one of the first things that I can affect quickly to drive more revenue for them. And that's ultimately our goal. So you can use testmysite.thinkwithgoogle.com and it will run a test like this. For this site, it will actually tell you what your estimated visitor loss is. Now it is running it on a 3G network. Apparently 70% of people on mobile are still on a 3G network. I know, crazy, right? But think about that, 29%. If you had 1,000 people come into your website every day or every month, yeah, what? testmysite.thinkwithgoogle.com. Yep, testmysite.thinkwithgoogle. So you can take something like this and run it into uh, estimate your revenue impact. And for this specific site, at nine seconds with their average monthly visitors was around 5,000, average order value of 5,000, and a conversion rate of 1.5%, the opportunity value that they were losing was over $500,000. $500,000. Imagine being able to make an impact on something like that that quickly. Now, in this case, this is, yeah, I know. It says, welcome to Facebook. Uh, <laughs> this, <laughs> this is opportunity revenue, though. If it was an e-commerce site, it would be actually direct impacted revenue. But in their case, it's, it's opportunity revenue, meaning that they close around 30 35% of their business. So that's the actual net impacted revenue would be 30 to 35% of that. Making sense? So really important to look at this. 
Um, you want to look and see if your mobile page is, uh, if your page is mobile friendly. And this isn't going to just be, if you have a mobile site or if you're responsive, that it's actually like mobile friendly, you need to look. Because sometimes it says clickable elements too close together. Now this site is obviously not mobile friendly, but sometimes even when you have a mobile site and you upload content, an image or video, it breaks it and it expands the page and then people are all over. Happens all the time. Clients. They'll upload something and why'd you upload an image this big and it's an icon? <laughs> so there's all these kind of things you can do. That, you know, it's fun stuff. So we're going to talk about the search channel a little bit. Um, I love this slide. Uh, a lot of times people feel like SEO and PPC are combative, but they're not. In fact, they should work together really well. In fact, we were just talking about how effective they are when you utilize them together. So you want to make sure, we're going to talk a little bit about these different strategies, how you can utilize them together. And just to make sure we're clear when we're talking about paid, Obviously talking about ping section, and this is an old slide, clearly. Um, and then we're talking about SEO, we're talking about the local and organic section. So with search engine optimization, you have on-site factors and you have off-site factors. And the first thing that I normally do is I start to look at what is the market share? What is the, the market share out there for this specific business? What is the opportunity? And so I like to do like a keyword market share analysis where you can actually look at so in this case, this is a, a market where there's one giant competitor, huge competitor, and then you, have, you can't even see this guy, tiny little orange dot right there, but then you have these other competitors that aren't necessarily direct competitors, but they all compete with the big guy because he's in so many different parts of it, right? So what you can do with this, though, is as you dive into this market share, you can really understand what are the keyword opportunities that they're actually going after, where are they getting so much volume from? Here's another one where you can see more of a direct overlap where competitors are really going after some of the same keywords. So this doesn't only tell you like what keywords they're going after, it tells you like what direction do these companies have. Sometimes you think someone's a competitor and you're like, they don't actually even target a lot of the same keywords we do. So this starts to show you visually, really big on making sure that people can kind of see things visually on where these overlay. And then what you start to do, and this is where just a couple weeks ago we found over a million dollars in opportunity for a client. And it took me like less than an hour is going SEM Rush is probably one of the best tools out there in my personal humble, very humble, humble opinion. Um, we went through and started looking at this and we found over 80,000 searches a month that they're on the second or third page for. If you actually take that traffic and you kind of estimate it by a click-through rate, you figure out the conversion rate, it'll come down to over $5 million in, in opportunity with a conversion rate of say, 20% being really conservative, it's over a million dollars in revenue if they can move these pages that are on the second and third page to the first page. And they're like, oh gosh, we didn't even know we were right there for some of these huge terms. Right? So this is how you start to see this. And as you start to drive down deeper and you understand what the fears and questions people have, then you can actually get even more volume and more traffic from this. So I'm going to talk a little bit about on-page SEO. There's really... Uh, for some of you, this will be very basic, and for some of you, it'll be brand new. So uh, I apologize for that. But um, we did look over yesterday when uh, John was in town, and he kind of reiterated a lot of these things, is a lot of the base elements aren't done right. So you want to make sure that your title tags are optimized, that your meta description is set up correctly. Meta descriptions, 
are one of those things where a lot of people don't really focus on them because they don't necessarily directly impact rankings, but they're so critical for the customer experience, for the click-through rate. And whether Google and Bing, I wish Christy was here to kind of talk about this a little bit more, are willing to admit it or not, they're definitely looking at uh, user experience. They're looking at the customer experience. And if someone's clicking through that site and their pogo sticking back, you can guarantee that they'll eventually drop that down. One of the questions I actually asked John the other day was, has RankBrain expanded to other search queries? And I, I knew he wasn't going to answer me directly, but I wanted to see his response. And he said, well, it's not called RankBrain, but we use machine learning in all of our search queries, you know, basically across everything. So the short answer is yes, something similar. And they do that often. So when you say, does click-through rate impact rankings? They're going to say no, because they don't call it click-through rate. They call it, you know, customer engagement score, and it's a metric of all these other things, right? But ultimately, all of these search engines want to reflect the offline world as much as possible. They want to make sure they provide the best customer experience. So your meta description is something that's important to get the person to click through. You want to make sure you have quality and engaging content, that you're optimizing your images. As search becomes more visual, which I don't know how many of you saw some of the Google's uh, publications recently in the last couple of weeks, they had their 20-year anniversary and they talked about the future. The future is going to get a lot more visual. So you want to make sure your images are optimized, the, 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 excuse me, the file name, the alt text, the caption, even the metadata. It's going to be really important and they're gonna, you're going to see in the next few years from a number of reasons search becoming much more visual. And it's going to be a better experience for all of us, really. And then you have uh, internal linking structure, your site architecture, user experience. So like site load time affects SEO, for many of you know that, and then schema and tons more. So the base elements, your title tag obviously, is what appears in the browser. Your URL structure should be SEO friendly. It should, if someone's looking at it, it should be descriptive enough so that they see that, they know what the page is about not have a lot of different characters in it and things like that. And then your page title, your H1 heading should have some keywords in it, and your image, alt text, file name, and of course your body content should be optimized. And not just a wall of text, you want to make sure it's broken up so that you have images, you have uh, bullets, you have different things breaking up that content. So you have a lot of on-site factors, then you have a lot of off-site factors. So the external SEO factors often refer to, what I refer to them as endorsements, are things like links to your website, mentions of your brand, citations, things like that. They're all things that are not on your site. So when Google first started, links was like the number one ranking factor. 70% of the algorithm was links pointing to your website because they said, if this link site is linking to my site, right, they're endorsing them. And over time, it went from more of a, a quantity element to a quality element, which is a good thing for us, though a lot of the old school SEOs wouldn't necessarily agree with me because <laughs> they can manipulate it so much easier. But what we're really looking at is what are these quality authoritative sites that have a lot of relevance when they're endorsing this site, right? And they're linking to it. They're driving a ton of relevance and authority to it. So over time, you start to see things. And the way I look at it is Google has to basically create an algorithmic way to determine trust, right? And so with your, your name, address, phone number, citation, everybody's familiar with NAP, right? No? No? Okay, there's some people who are not. Uh, I want to make sure because I sometimes feel like I'm being too basic and other times I feel like I'm too high. So your business name, address, and phone number is your, what we call NAP. So it's a, what's it called a citation. Google basically said, we have to create an algorithmic way to determine trust. And so what they looked at is, looked across the web and 
depending on how your name, address, and phone number appear across the web, they can determine whether they want to send someone to you. Because if I'm referring you business, right? If I'm sending you business all the time and they're not having a good experience, how often am I going to do that? I'm going to stop, right? So what they said is, well, if this business has different names, different addresses, different phone numbers, then it's going to lower our trust score. Make sense? So they've done that, and that's how your citations appear. Uh, WhiteSpark uh, did this great visual of this, kind of shows where that data comes from. So InfoUSA, Locally's Axiom and Factual provide the main data that kind of spreads out to literally thousands of different sites. And then you have all the other sites. So you want to make sure your business, your name, address, and phone number is accurate and consistent across all of these different sources. So the authority, the quantity, and the consistency of those citations is really important for appearing in the local pack. When you're talking about appearing in the map section of Google, it's critical. Now, we're, while reputation management isn't directly core, like just, just part of SEO, it's a much bigger kind of picture, I wanted to talk about it here because reviews are so critical for ranking, right? And not just rankings, but there was this study done by Bright Local that said, based on the star rating, would you still consider doing business with this person? And at five out of five, 100% of people said, yeah, we'd still do business with them. Four out of five stars, 6% of people said, no, I, we wouldn't do business with them. And then at three out of five stars, it drops all the way down to 57%. It's a huge drop, so you want to make sure that you're taking a proactive approach. You'll hear me use the oxymoron a lot, anticipatory retaliation. It's one of my favorite oxymorons. It basically means first strike. <laughs> so you want to understand the possibilities in the future and take actions to mitigate or at least be positive about them now because if you have 50 reviews that are all like 4.5, that one review which is going to happen at some point won't affect you as negatively. And honestly, if you get down to this rating, it can mean a big drop in business for you. Not only uh, this obviously impacts rankings, but it also is the user journey as the customers going through it. Rate, uh, ratings and reviews are critical for their decision-making process. I, I think uh, in, everybody in here would probably say as you go through and search, you probably read reviews and things like that, right? So customer experience can be, no, is your best marketing. I say that because it should be your main focus right now when your main focus is creating the best customer experience possible. But in the future, customer experience is going to be probably the number one ranking factor overall. It's, it's, it's huge. Uh, and I want to say that uh, one of the tools I really like, uh, and we were talking about this, actually Lisa and I were talking a little bit about um, Basically, uh, being able to track your customer rating because what gets measured gets managed, right? So if you want to have a good customer experience, you want to make sure you're measuring that. So we have an internal kind of MP rating for all of our employees. Well, you can have the same thing for all of your customers. And a tool like GatherUp allows you to actually get that customer feedback loop so that you can constantly be pivoting and making adjustments to meet your customers' needs and then measure how over time you're improving your score. Does that make sense? So ultimately, things are going to change a lot in our industry in the next five to 10 years. This is your North Star. This is how you always are focusing on the customer, making sure that you are not necessarily being distracted by the next flashy thing, that you're focusing on what's best for the customer and driving in that direction, right? And so um, Mike Blumenthal, one of the gentlemen who helped found this, it was funny because we were talking about it at SMX Advanced, how while I loved this for driving reviews, the biggest factor was the actual customer experience, the, the feedback loop that I got with the customers and that my clients got with their customers so that we could better improve their processes, the content that they created, their systems, and things like that. 
So we've talked a little bit about organic search and I want to spend some time on paid as well. These work so well together, both from the keyword data sets to understanding the consumer journey. At minimum, if they're coming to your site, you should be throwing them in a list so that you can follow up with them. And I'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. Pink Pac-Man is critical. No. <laughs> I was like going to make up some new thing, but I couldn't think of it on the fly. <laughs> so quality score. Uh, who does paid in here, by the way? Show of hands. Okay, good. Quite a few people. So quality score is important to understand when you're thinking about paid campaigns, right? And you generally have three main things, and a fourth, because they keep adding things, that make up your overall quality score. You have your ad text, your keywords, and your landing page, right? That's kind of the trifecta, as they used to call it, over with historical performance of your ad that creates quality score. And then, of course, they want to add in things like expected click-through rate based on the extensions that you're utilizing and things like that. All of this with your historical performance creates your quality score, right? And so this is, there's the historical quality score that's in your account, but then when you're actually running an auction, you have an on-the-fly quality score. That's not necessarily what they call it, but it's based on the same things. That is based on your bid times your quality score equals where you rank in that ad, in the, in the auction. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Okay, cool. <laughs> um, so this will allow you to, basically, you could be bidding less than your competitor and still appear above them because Google is wanting to create a better user experience. They used to have all these problems with people, you know, doing click arbitrage and things like that, where they, <laughs> yeah, smile, I was like, oh, that was the good old days, uh, <laughs> where, you know, you would bid on keywords and send them to a landing page because you'd get paid more on the ads. And, you know, it was a really bad experience for the customers, but we made a lot of money for a little while. Um, and so they wanted to say, hey, over time, how can we make sure we create the best experience possible? And so when they look at the ad text with the keywords that you're targeting in the landing page, they're able to determine a better relevancy score overall. So your ad extensions, like site link extensions, those are all things that can help you stand out more and be basically stand out in the ads, but also um, help provide more context for the user and the algorithm. Site link extensions are great, except when you're trying to kind of provide more of a customized user experience. If you're trying to drive them to a specific landing page, you may not want to use site link extensions because it send them somewhere else on the page. But then you also have call out extensions, which are really easy to add in like features and benefits and things like that. And then location extensions for local businesses is probably one of the best extensions you can utilize right now. Because not only does it help you stand out as being someone local, but it's the only way you can appear in the map pack as far as the ads at the top. And you're going to get some of the best, actually one of the lowest costs uh, per conversion and some of the highest click-through rates when you're appearing right at the top of the map pack ads. So for me, what I've seen with the clients is, you know, that's like the number one thing I got to make sure that's set up right away because we get so much uh, such a better uh, cost per click and such a better conversion rate through that. And then, of course, you have call extensions, which allow you to track how many calls you're getting. So who doesn't have Google Pixel installed on their website? I'm, I'm going to put you out there. Yep. No? Anybody else? A couple others? So install. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate you brave souls. So action item, install Google Pixel. It doesn't even matter if you're going to run a campaign. Set it up now, and what it's doing is imagine like everyone that came to your website automatically joined your newsletter. <laughs> That'd be really spammy, but it's, it's similar in thinking that now by these people coming to your website, you have a cookie. And later, when clients always come to me and say, hey, like we have the Black Friday thing coming up, what can we do for this? Well, good thing we installed a pixel way back when, and you have this huge audience that we can reach right out to. 
So with Google Remarketing, there's multiple ways that you can utilize this, and literally, you could spend an hour, a couple hours just on that alone. But one of the coolest things, and clients always get blown away when they understand that we can start putting out display campaigns for free. We can get those ads in front of all of those people that are on your list that came to your website previously, and you pay nothing for those. Nothing. You pay zero unless they actually click through to your website. Let me repeat that. You pay zero for that unless they click through to your website. So set it up, and that's one of the ways that you should definitely, at minimum, depending on, like if you have a higher average sale, you should definitely be utilizing this. The higher the average sale, the longer the process. This helps kind of hold their hand through the journey a little bit more and make sure you're in front of them. Make sure you're providing value all throughout the process. Here's another example. Uh, this is a client we actually took on, you can see earlier this year. And when we first started working with them, this is to show how important it is that make sure that you're measuring everything correctly. Because when we first sat down with them, we looked at their metrics and we said, you know, based on this, we would recommend not even focusing on mobile, focusing everything on desktop. I said, but the problem is we have really bad data. You're not actually tracking phone calls on your mobile site. And my guess is that you're probably getting a fair number of phone calls, but I can't really know unless I'm actually tracking that, right? So if you look at the next month, I made an emphatic case to them that we need to start tracking this. They went from 23 conversions to 87 conversions. Their cost per conversion dropped by, I think, 150-something to $42. And most of that was just because of the tracking. They were getting a lot of those before. And for the f agency folks and for the in-house folks, uh, <laughs> their previous agency or previous person who was managing this probably got fired because they weren't tracking it correctly. We came in, <laughs> changed the tracking, we're the heroes. I mean, there's other things we did too, but a large percentage of this, and I, we told the client, like we didn't say, oh, hey, look how good we are. We said, you know, a lot of this, over half of those were just calls on that new tracking. So we saw a 100% increase on one side, and then just the calls alone, there was an additional increase there too. Who is familiar or has done local service ads? Please be one person. You've done some? Awesome, or familiar at least, okay. So local service ads are a new ad set by Google. You're basically only paying for calls. It's only available for certain service area businesses currently, like uh, plumbers, uh, handyman, house cleaning, uh, things like that. But because very few people are doing it, like when I searched for plumber and bend, there's literally no one doing it. So if you're working with a plumber and bend, get them set up on this. Like literally no one, no one was showing up for this. And what you're doing is you're only paying per phone call. So you're not actually paying for clicks or anything like that. You're paying when you actually get a lead through. And then even when the leads are bad or someone's like soliciting you, you can say, I don't want to pay for that. Now there's a lot of negatives too. I'm not going to go into all of them, but it's a little bit of a black box right now. Um, you might be paying for your own brand terms and things like that, but it's still worth it to go out there and do it right now until they give us a little more adjustments we can make to it. You can select areas, but again, not as granular as your standard kind of AdWords campaign, but we've seen great results for a lot of our clients. The problem is you have to jump through some serious hoops. It takes like a month just to get through, and you have to go through background checks and all this kind of stuff. Because Google's literally guaranteeing the work that you do, right? As the business, they're guaranteeing the work you do for them. All right, any questions on any of that so far? Two, one, good, all right. So I want you guys to start thinking about, when you're talking about content, how we can 
reframe the situation a little bit more so that clients and stakeholders really understand what we're trying to accomplish. It's not just creating content, right? It's not just putting stuff out there. It's about creating real value for your customers or whoever it is that in that case, right? You might not be targeting customers with that specific content. It might be trying to get your peers to link to this content. Whatever the objective is of that content, make sure that you're providing a tremendous amount of value for that person, right? I love this quote by Rand Fishkin. He says, the best way to sell anything, something is don't sell anything. Earn the awareness, respect, and trust of those who might buy. So when you're creating content, the content you create as part of your overall digital experience should provide a tremendous amount of value and be useful, usable, and engaging throughout the process. Thank you. All right, so I'm gonna only spend a little bit of time on social and then we'll jump into email and then we're gonna talk about measurement. And then my favorite part, we're gonna talk a little bit about the future of where things are going. So, same thing here. I'm guessing more people have Facebook Pixel installed, but who has Facebook Pixel installed on their website? Nice. I'm assuming everyone else doesn't. Install it. So the same thing here, the only difference is everyone who's coming to your site, you can get thumbs up, you can get uh, on a list where you can basically create an audience that you can remarket to them. Now unlike Google, you're still going to pay regardless of whether they click. You're gonna pay per impression, things like that. You're not gonna just be able to pay per click. But you also get a tremendous amount of amazing data that can also come back and fill in that persona more, things like that. So you can understand what are some of the top pages that people are coming to your website like, right? All this data is free. So again, you don't even have to run campaigns. You don't have to pay anything. You can just install this, create a custom audience, and you'll start getting some of this feed of data. Now they've taken away some things that we really enjoyed before, like you know, income and asset level and some of those things. Um, but you still get a lot of very valuable data from this. The way I like to, uh, for <laughs> we were on a panel earlier this year and one of the questions they asked it was about social and the one statement I made was that I was very clear on, or that I was very confident about was that organic reach would fall. <laughs> and it wasn't but a week later that Google or that Facebook announced that they were changing things and you know, organic reach. So we do have that as a challenge that we're constantly uh, dealing with that. But I still think it's important to understand that all of these things work together, right? So when you're creating some value, Facebook, uh, you know, Instagram, all these different avenues can be a distribution channel for you. But you really want to think about it more of like a cocktail party is how I like to basically provide the analogy. You would never walk into a cocktail party, walk right up to somebody and be like, here's my business card. We're having a sale today and uh, I'd love to sit down with you sometime. They're going to run the other direction, right? You're not on there. You're not going on there to sell. You're going on there to, to build relationships and provide value. So if you, but if you come up and you're genuinely interested and you're asking questions and I'm like really wanting to see what I can do to help you and then I, I connect you with some other people and I do these things and it's, I'm not there for the sale. I'm there for the relationship and to provide value. That's going to come back to you tenfold. But unfortunately, most people take the wrong approach and they really try to go after it as more of a, a sales vehicle rather than thinking of it like networking or like a cocktail party. So direct, uh, as I mentioned, email channels. One of the, again, site speed, and then a lot of clients aren't running any email campaigns or anything like that. Who is uh, here real quick, just by a show of hands, running uh, email campaigns consistently? Wow, that's awesome. You guys like, who's using MailChimp? Quite a few people, awesome. 
So I recommend this quite a bit just because, hey, free for 2,000 subscribers. Uh, small businesses is like, hey, get this set up right away. We just wor worked with a client a couple weeks ago and said, you're coming up to your winter time. You have all these past clients. They're going to need some help during this time if you can reach out to them and provide all this value. And so it was really easy for them to set up and reach back out. So again, all these things work together to stay in front of people and make sure that your brand is, you're being aware. Tidings, who's heard of Tidings? I'd love to see a show of hands. You guys, Hume, awesome. So uh, David Mim, uh, he's an advisory board member on SEMPDX. He used to be part of Moz, and uh, he created this solution. It's pretty awesome, and it actually helps you automate some of your email campaigns. It will actually integrate with MailChimp, and it will take RSS feeds, and it will automatically create email campaigns for you, and it will even send them out for you if you want um, automatically, and it will just automatically do that because so many people have a hard time just creating that campaign and putting it together. And this is like super easy to set up quickly, get content flowing, and get it out. And I'm not going to talk too much about this because uh, Larry talked enough yesterday. <laughs> No, but chatbots are another great thing. And the cool thing I like about chatbots is they're not just playing in, in that one channel. They're actually in the direct channel, but they're also in the social channel, right? Some of the things that you can do with chatbots right now are pretty crazy. Um, might have a little bit different opinion as far as some of the spamminess of them, but you got to play with them carefully. Uh, we were playing with this, and we had someone come to uh, our page and start uh, conversating with us, and I was... I literally had just set it up, and it was communicating with them for a while before I caught it. <laughs> it said something that maybe could have been taken negatively, and I was like, jumped in there really quick. I was like, hey, just so you know, that wasn't us. That was a chatbot we were just testing. You have to jump in there. So you want to make sure that if you're going through that, that you're really kind of building it out and testing it prior to launching it. I made the mistake for you. So five M's. This may be important. This may be on a test. What does 5M stand for? <laughs> Measure meaningful metrics that make money. Measure meaningful metrics that make money. So one of the first things I do, one of our biggest focuses, is we need to measure it, right? What gets measured gets managed. And if we can measure it, we can optimize it. Because I know if I'm spending X amount of budget and this budget over here is getting no return on investment, this budget over here is getting three times, I can reallocate that budget. And because I'm not just a one-trick pony, I can move things around different areas, right? And for a lot of the agencies in here that work in different channels can reallocate budget or should be reallocating budget based on what's actually performing. It's, it sounds simple, right? That's <laughs> what we should be doing. And what's funny is in that same study, we actually asked, what is the average return on investment from your agency? And for the agency folks in here, I think you should have this be like a big signal and big alert. 55% were not sure. They had no idea of the return on investment of the agency. 80% said that they were either unsure or there was less than three times return of investment. Yeah, that's like, that blew me away. It blew me away. I was just like, man, that is insane because if you're doing something, at least in the digital space, and you're getting less than three times return on investment, you need to pay closer attention to that. There's some things where, yeah, you're only going to get a you know, two times return on ad spend or whatever you're doing, but you really need to pay close attention to that. So I'm going to show you how to close that attribution gap, both for agency folks, so that you can better make sure that your customers actually understand the ROI that you're delivering. So first, we'll talk about a little bit about measurement and attribution. Google Analytics is free. I'm sure everyone has it installed on their website. I always hate when I see a site that doesn't have it installed. But who, has, who knows what Google Analytics goals are? I'm assuming, a, OK, a little over half the audience. OK, good. So 
I'm always surprised when I sit down with a client and they don't have anything set up. No goals set up whatsoever. We have no baseline other than traffic, right? So we really want to see that baseline so that we can see how are we increasing that baseline. What I mean by that is we can set up goals where we know if someone's placing an order, if they're making a purchase, if they're signing up for the newsletter, if they're filling out a contact form, or even if they're making a phone call. There's so many different things we can track through that, and it's important that you measure those things. And please, if you're one of those agencies that set a, sets up a conversion as time on site, please stop doing that. I hate seeing that. I'm like, that's not a conversion. So there's a few people I know are in the e-commerce space in here. A uh, few? A couple? Email us? All right. So with e-commerce, you have advanced e-commerce integration where you basically have no attribution gap. You can, as long as you're not selling anything offline, it's all online. You know exactly which sources and channels are producing what revenue. It's amazing because we can show exactly how much revenue we're driving. We can show that ROI. The problem is with a lot of small businesses, you have a, a gap. And I'll talk about that a little bit more. But in here, I can actually see which, because you might see uh, a channel is producing a certain number of sales. This other channel is producing half as many sales, but it's producing twice as much revenue. That same thing happens in other areas, but you, don't, you can't measure it. You're just saying, hey, this channel is providing the most leads, right? So this channel is providing the most leads, but you don't actually know how much revenue it's driving. So I'll give you a couple strategies on how to handle that a little more effectively, because ultimately, at the end of the day, you need to know what return on investment you're making. So CallRail is a great uh, tool. You can use whatever call platform that you want to use. But you should be tracking phone calls, especially if you're a local business. Uh, based on the data, we have 80% of conversions for local businesses are happening on the phone. Right? And most businesses aren't even tracking that. So what we use is, uh, with CallRail, it uses dynamic number insertion. So it's going to change the phone number, excuse me, it's going to change the phone number based on the channel that you come from. So if you're coming from organic, it's going to show one phone number. If it's coming from social, it's going to show a different phone number. If it's coming from paid, it's going to show a different phone number. Make sense? So now we're able to understand how these calls are actually converting. What's cool about it, though, is you can take it a step further. And uh, at least in CallRail, I know some of the other platforms, you can mark whether it was actually like a thumbs up, whether it was actually a lead or not. So now we can actually see which verify which sources are driving the most verified leads, right? As opposed to which sources are driving a bunch of sales calls. I would also mention this. Set up CallScribe so that you actually start tracking the calls. So you can record and track the calls and then basically transcribe everything. You can actually utilize that to uncover keyword and topic data. You can also use keyword spotting to look into and automatically find certain keywords when they're mentioned. So if you want to check in on your sales team and make sure that they're covering the things that they need to cover, you can do that as well. But there's a lot of value that you can get out of this if you're, if you're utilizing it. And so you can see in this case, in a 30-day period, they got 106 calls, 73 from Google Organic and Local, 20 Direct, and 13 from Google Paid. Right? You can also see what the average duration of the phone call was. So if a phone call was 30 seconds, we're going to know on average we're not getting really good calls from that channel, most likely, depending on the type of business. But these are two minutes and four minutes. So chances are this is a better kind of call. But part of what you need to talk about is what makes a good call and start listening to some of the recordings. So I'm going to help you on how to close the attribution gap. Now, this is a very analog way. But unfortunately, it's one of the few ways that you can actually do this. Um, so what we do is we actually, 
we had a client that was questioning the value that we were providing for them. They were saying like, hey, I know I see all these numbers, that's great, but I don't actually know like what it's producing from a revenue standpoint. We said, fair enough, let's, let's see what we can do. We know we're producing value, we've seen all these, you know, and we were talking about it before. It's like, oh, it's so hard because we're telling them, hey, we're increasing all these numbers, but if you can't tie it back to actual revenue, it, no matter what argument you make, it's, it's still not tied back to revenue. So in this case, what we did is we exported all of their calls. And we have caller ID. So we exported all their calls, we exported all their lead forms, and then we sat down with them and one by one, we tied it up to their accounting software. Yeah, we sit, I mean, this seems analog, but we just sit there and like back and forth. Now this isn't gonna work for everyone. Some businesses have a much longer buying cycle, and so this would be really hard to do. This particular business had a short kind of buying window, um, so it was more effective with them. But what, we, what was really cool about this is when we sat down, not only did we figure out we were producing a positive return on investment, but we were doing like a five to one return on investment. So at first for a lot of agencies, I know because I've talked to a lot of agencies, they're like, well, it's kind of scary because what if you're not producing a return on investment? Well, you should know that so that you can change things, <laughs> right? So that's the way I look at it, um, is start manually matching these up uh, to figure out the return on investment. Now the step further I want to go, but that not everyone's ready for, is using Google Analytics measurement protocol. Is anybody familiar with the measurement protocol in Google Analytics? A little bit, awesome. So the measurement protocol basically allows you to send the Google Analytics customer ID to your CRM user ID and then connect those two things. So you can send data from your analytics into your CRM, your client customer relationship management tool, and then you can send data back from your CRM into Google Analytics, right? So now basically what you're getting is some, something similar to the e-commerce integration, where you actually have revenue numbers. So ultimately where I'd love to go, and again, don't have a lot of clients doing this yet, is being able to get the revenue numbers and the customer lifetime value of these customers and then pulling that back into analytics so we know which sources and channels are driving the most revenue and close that attribution gap. It's important that as business owners and marketers, we not only have one foot in the present and understand what works now, but we have another foot in what, where we're going to be, what's going to be working in the future, and we need to be managing both those simultaneously. Right? Because if we stop doing what's working now, we're going to lose. But if we don't focus on the future, we're going to fail to anticipate our customers' needs, fail to anticipate the market, and we're going to fail. And we're not going to do that because we're the 4%. I talked about anticipatory retaliation before. I love this quote by Wayne Gretzky. You need to skate to where the puck will be, not where it has been. Right? Yeah, it's a great quote. So... To understand the future, it's really, it's the best thing to reference is looking at the past. And if you think about some of the big changes for us, the PC revolution was critical. In the 1970s when the personal computer made, it was not only huge for so many people, it also put a lot of people out of business. Before that, there was people called computers, that was their title, they were doing computations. Right? So it put a lot of those computers out of business. They became personal computers. And then the web was created in the 80s which was amazing, and it gave birth to all of us, web marketers. But it also put, again, a lot of people out of business. And so all these changes, all these kind of new things are both scary and they have change and there's a lot of pain associated with them as well, but we often look back on them fairly fondly. Mobile has been huge for us. The mobile revolution has just been huge, right? Like we've been talking about it for so long, but now, honestly, we're in the AI revolution. And AI is going to make a lot of those other things look like a blip on the screen. And it's not just 
being fueled by AI and some of the technologies there, it's also actually being fueled by computing power increasing dramatically. We're going to see computing power grow so much in the next 10 years, it's going to be crazy. With quantum computing, I mean, now in our mobile phones, we have as much computing power as they used to have in a server room. But in the future, we'll have as much, in, in the size of the head of a pin, we'll have as much power in that as in a whole server room currently. The amount of power, you can see the computing power going up at this exponential rate, and the amount of data. This is going to allow the web to be a much more visual place. It's going to allow search and social and all these things to be able to process things in a very different way. So there's going to be a lot of change in the next five to 10 years. That's why I often talk about you need to have that focus. You need to understand, you need to have your customers, your North Star, because all these things are going to be changing around you. We're pretty used to it though, right? I love this uh, clip from inception where everything's changing around them. The whole world is just flipping upside down on each other because a lot of us in the, the, world, the digital marketing world feel like this often. Things are constantly changing, but we love it. We enjoy it because it's like, hey, I like variety, right? We like to see change. We like to keep going. There's three macro trends that, in my personal opinion, are going to heavily influence the future of digital. Uh, and I, be I believe digital in the future will be personalized, predictive, and proactive. Now, proactive is the holy grail, and I'll explain why in a second. We've already seen a lot of personalization, right? From search being personalized based on location and search history, uh, things like that, to getting personalized results, um, to predicting our needs, right? Like sometimes, uh, I forgot who mentioned it yesterday, you, you wake up and it, Google tells you, says, hey, you need to leave in about 10 minutes to get to your place on time because there's traffic on this street. Right? So it's proactively predicting your needs. And it's not just companies that are driving this, it's, it's users that are driving this. We are wanting search to be more personal. We are wanting it to predict our needs and we're wanting it to be proactive to some extent. So we're asking questions that are very personal, like how far did I run and what should my resting heart rate be? And should I get bangs? That clearly is not me. <laughs> should I cut my hair? Yeah, I know. Why is my hair falling out? I get it. Don't say anything. That might have been me. No, so we're asking these personalized questions and we're expecting personalized results, right? And so I mentioned this before, but Google recently talked about their 20-year anniversary and they also talked about where they're going in the, in the future. I'd highly recommend you finding and reading this article. It has a lot of great insight into what's coming next. But they said that search has dramatically changed over the last 20 years. And if you look at the title, actually, it says, 20 years in, search has become a powerful personal assistant. It's likely to continue changing in the future. Marketers need to be one step ahead of customers. Anticipatory retaliation. It's time to start predicting their needs regardless of where they are in their journey. Right? So they want to predict their needs. Google Maps for iOS. We, started, we saw this earlier in the year, the new match feature. We're predicting what the rest, best restaurant is for you and proactively showing you that, personalized based on the information, based on the restaurants you've reviewed and people who've reviewed those restaurants who've also liked this restaurant and the settings that you set up. Most people probably don't even know. You can go in there and actually click which, re which types of food you like. Anybody know that? It just saw it recently. So you can set your settings to say, hey, these are kind of the restaurants I want to see, except for they don't ha let you exclude fast food, which I think is BS. This came out a few years ago. This is a, a major new initiative by iOS 
that goes by the codename Proactive, a personal assistant that's far smarter than Siri's current incarnation. I had the opportunity to get a uh, quote in Mashable, which I was like stoked about, but the goal of all these companies is to become the best personal assistant you've ever had and in large part to provide personalized information and ads proactively even before a user makes a request. So if you're going to hire a personal assistant, do you want that personal assistant to only do something when you ask them to, right? Like if you hired somebody and they came in and worked for you, are you going to, you'd probably fire them if they just sat there all the time and never did anything until you asked them to do something, right? They're, if they didn't really get to know you, if they didn't actually, weren't proactive in what they were doing, you'd fire them. What Google and Siri and Bing and, or Cortana and all these companies, what they're all going after is to become the best personal assistant you've ever had. To provide personalized information, to predict your needs, and to proactively handle them. Proactive is the holy grail because if you think about it, right now, how much is search volume, I was reaching for my phone, I don't have it in my pocket. How much is search volume based on us, it's waiting for us to actually put in a query? What the proactive portion will do, which they're, they're dipping their toes in very gently. If some people saw Google Feed change to Google Discover recently, that's one way they're letting us know that they're going to have more proactive features in the future is they're proactively helping you down the customer journey by when you search, they're showing more content related to that in your feed. Some people need to look into Google Discover a little bit more. Um, that's proactively working down the feed. But in the future, when you have an assistant who's there while you're talking to someone else and they're in the always-on state where they're always listening because they're there to assist you and help you, what is the search volume going to be like then? 20 to 30 times easily, if not 50 times more, search volume. Because while it's sitting there and listening and I'm having a conversation and I'm talking about, you know, I really want to learn how to fly a plane and it's something I've always wanted to do. I set a goal to fly a plane in like 10 years and that was two years ago. So I have eight years left. I want to do that. My personal assistant might surface up information, send a notification saying, here's some information on learning how to fly a plane. And of course, here's some ads as well. I've always laughed at how people are like, how are they going to monetize this? There's a lot to monetize. So consumer habits will evolve along with technology, but the one thing all searchers have in common is they want assistance every step of the way. Marketers who remember this will be rewarded with growth. A quote from one of Google's editors that was in one of those publications. So proactive assistance is the holy grail, and in my personal opinion, assistance is like a, a gateway channel, meaning that uh, if you have an executive assistant or if you've ever tried to get a hold of an executive and they have an executive assistant, that executive assistant has a lot of power because they are the gateway between you. Nothing gets through, right, until it gets through the executive assistant to, to get to the executive. So when you have an assistant, they will basically be the gateway channel to social, to search, to all the channels. That's why they're all going after this as much because it's the next largest channel in the world because it's the gateway to everything else and not just purchases, not just social media, but your email, your text, your notifications, and all these other things. So in the next five to 10 years, we're going to see a lot of advancements on the assistance side, which is both exciting and scary for some. <laughs> scary. <laughs> She's one of the ones that thinks it's scary. <laughs> She's like, oh, God. Um, 
I want to leave you with this because we need to right now focus on what's working for us right now. So when you obsess over your customer, develop a successful marketing strategy, execute it effectively, commit to providing the best product or service in your industry, and you measure meaningful metrics, your business will experience incredible success and so will your clients. I want to thank you guys for your time and really appreciate you guys having me today. Thank you.